I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we're in a series through Epiphany Tide, where we've been looking at Jesus and his introductions to us um, from from as far back to his baptism and temptation. Um, Last week, we looked at some of the first words from Jesus from all the different gospels and what those say to us about his ministry. Um, So today, Steve, where are we going Uh, with this. Today, we're going to take a look at how the gospel writers, in particular, we're going to center in Luke, introduce us to Jesus by who he picks as disciples or how he starts to create a new community of disciples around him. Um, And so, like we said last time, there's a couple of ways that Jesus is introduced by what he says, but it's kind of loose, like who are the people following him? But here, as Jesus starts to call disciples, it's pretty clear Jesus is sort of casting himself as rabbi, you know, itinerant rabbi with students learning a particular way to live out the the, the commands of God or to live as God's people. Um, so in some ways, Jesus is like any rabbi in the first century who would gather a, a school of disciples around them. But the way Jesus gets his disciples, or the way they are gathered to him is, is kind of different. Um, maybe we should start with how the story unfolds in Luke and then pick apart how that's different and what Luke might be saying. So we begin with in chapter five of Luke, if you want to follow along. And so Jesus is just standing there besides, beside a lake and a crowd is pressing in on him and he looks out and he, see two, he sees two boats. And so he thinks to himself, hmm, that's a great way to get away from all these people. So he gets, he gets in the boat belonging to Simon and he asks Simon to get a little way out from shore, presumably to get even further away from all of the people. And he asks, you know, or he tells Simon, hey, put out the, your net in this deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon is just very skeptical. And he goes, uh, all right, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught a thing. Um, but I guess if you say so, I'll let down my nets. So they did this and they caught so many fish that they had to call in the other boat to come help them pull in all of the fish. And Simon immediately go, falls down at Jesus's knees and says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus ends up, you know, saying, hey, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And calls Simon Peter to follow him. Along so, with James and Johns, who are the son of Zebedee. So uh, it, it, it's, it's a story that doesn't at first look like Jesus is holding auditions. It's Jesus is speaking and teaching and is using the lakeshore as a natural mm-hmm. amphitheater and goes out into the boat so we can talk to the crowds and then turns us into a, I was recruiting you the whole time, Simon Peter kind of a thing, huh? Right. With James and John, who are, right? I think, in the other boat? Yeah. Or no, they were partners with Simon. So uh, I was just reading a commentary on fishing in the first century in like this area sure and it is apparently it's a very co-op-y kind of situation where fishermen would often work in teams or groups of people and if the catch was particularly large and they needed help hauling it in 
they might just wave over another boat that just happened to be nearby to help them haul it in and then they split up their profits accordingly. Um, so the fact that Simon Peter and then James and John and possibly even Zebedee if he was still working were all working together is part of that co-op cooperation teamwork thing. And so to me, like the connection that I make with this is that Jesus was looking for that kind of teamwork ability, right? Like that it's not like he's trying to pull in the lone sheep that's over here or, you know, whomever to come and work with him, but he wants partners. He wants sure. the teamwork to go into this ministry. I think even the the method of fishing seems important as as part of the metaphor too. For a lot of folks in um, you know pop popular culture pictures of fishing in American culture are rod and reel, and it's me mm -hmm. trying to basically lure a fish to bite on something that will kill it. You know, eat the worm, and there's a hook in it, and I get you in one at a time. That requires the fish to do the first move of biting on the hook. But we're talking about nets, you know, gathering and drawing and pulling uh, the the fish in together. It's it's not only um, a corporate sort of a it's a whole bunch all at once, um, but it's it's a whole different picture than I got to get you to bite on the hook kind of a thing. Um, that that seems also an important difference that maybe get getting our mental picture right as well. I think there's there's something else that's maybe important to say at the outset that even though this is ostensibly a rabbi beginning to get disciples, the 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 initiation is all backwards from how to our best knowledge other rabbis would mm -hmm. would get disciples right. So the the most uh, the the best of our knowledge most other rabbis would you know like hold court and basically hold auditions and if you were good enough i mean if you knew your scripture you knew uh you know you'd done well at, at your local synagogue school you would show a rabbi that you knew your stuff and you would apply and only if you were regarded excellent and you knew your scripture and you knew you know uh the, how to keep the commandments then would you be accepted and here's jesus picking people who already have day jobs people who at some point have been passed over to be uh, students of a, of a rabbi. I'm, I'm remembering uh, a line, maybe each of you have seen this before. It's, it's a piece by Rob Bell, uh, who wrote the, I think this might be in his book, Velvet Elvis, but it's also in one of his uh, video pieces from a few years back, where he talks about how um, this is like Jesus picking the JVs. This is like Jesus picking the, the not good enoughs, the B team, people who had at some point been told by a teacher you don't have what it takes to continue in your education any further. Go and find a you know a job working for the family business, and they are right. Peter and, and Andrew are brothers working the family business together. James and John are working with Dad Zebedee to fish, and this is not a job that requires schooling. This is you could do this as a teenage kid. So at some point, someone has told them you don't have what it takes, and Jesus now chooses them instead of them auditioning, and that that turns everything upside down. I also am a big fan of the theory that the disciples are still very much young adults. Yeah. That, you know, James and John are still working with their dad, which means their dad is still working. Um, and that they likely are able to follow Jesus because their families aren't relying on them to be the main breadwinners, right? That they don't seem to have other than Peter does they, they don't seem to be married um and they don't seem to have children that are relying on them to bring home supper every night 
that they are old enough to have been passed over, like you said, to be disciples of rabbis. They're working, but they don't yet have families dependent on them. Yeah. That, that I think is such an important insight too, because like it one helps make this scene seem more re- like more, more plausible. Like you can understand, oh, these are not people whose spouses are wondering how are we going to, you know, pay for the groceries or, you know, feed the kids if you're, you know, wandering off with Jesus, if most of them don't have kids. But also like, I think that has a way of, of maybe reminding us how the, the roots of the Jesus movement are not with, um, uh, you know, old retirees but like the, the, this is like a, a movement of anybody's you know that like sometimes we have a way in church life of only showing respect to people who have been a member of the church for 50 years um and those are the people who get to make the decisions because they've been around so long uh, and when you've been around 50 years then you get a vote on the color of the carpet but like here this is jesus picking really young adults if young adult i mean like maybe teenagers and saying you can be a part of this and that he doesn't just treat them as students but says to peter at the end you're you're going to be part of the action you're i mean i'm going to be using you to to fish for people now that like you said earlier sarah they're going to be partners in this not just i need you to sit and learn the facts that i know jesus calls the unexpected mm-hmm. like calls unexpected people right that these are the people that have already been passed over to be disciples and you know they're not who i first would think of to be you know, disciples of a rabbi, you know, rabbis in training, um, you know, they're, they're fishermen. They probably smell like fish. They, (laughs) they work at night. They, you know, if we think about the equivalent in our society today of like day laborers, but they're working at night kind of deals. Um, you know, you don't necessarily automatically think, oh, I bet they also do x y and z which is like completely different than their other job like they're 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 not the people that you would expect and yet jesus still calls them into ministry yeah and i think that that also helps us to understand that jesus works through us too like that's not to say that jesus is calling all of us into the ministry of like preaching for example but that Jesus's ministry extends beyond just like the professional pastors that the three of us happen to be. Yeah. Um, but that Jesus uses all of us to do unexpected things, unexpected people to do unexpected things. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can connect the dots, it, I, so t- tell me if you think this is a fair move to make, because uh, if this is heresy, start throwing rocks at me. Um, but like we talked last time about how the first words Jesus said sort of like lay out what the, the kingdom agenda for Jesus looks like. And whether it's Matthew announcing blessing on the nobodies or announcing the reign of God has come near or um, in Luke's version that we talked about last time, um, you know, good news to the poor and the year of, of the Lord's favorite. That's part of the agenda and now jesus calling these disciples to be a part of it like like he's asking them this is the the work i've said i'm about you all are going to be a part of this kind of thing it's it's about good news for the nobodies it's about blessing on the ones the world has looked over and that's the new kind of movement that that is god's kingdom sometimes i think we forget that i think sometimes we go okay jesus announces that stuff and then separately starts calling people to build an institution called church and like that's not exactly right he calls the disciples to do the stuff he just talked about doing, um, which 
you know, the church, an institution called church might be a part of it. Um, but it's interesting to me that he doesn't spend the time talking about building an institution or like you say, training priests or, or pastors or um, talking about let's, let's, uh, you know, set the hymn boards up and start singing our hymns. Like in, instead, it's about how we speak good news to the nobodies. You know, we said in the last episode that Luke, um, the beginning words of Jesus and Luke are to spoken, not just to the Israelites, but to the outsiders as well. And while the, these fishermen are Jews, they are mm-hmm. not outsiders in that sense. Because of their profession, they are kind of outsiders. Yeah. Um, they're not the outcasts, but they are kind of outsiders. Because fishermen, I think, Sarah, you mentioned, you know, they, they're not, they don't smell good. You know, <laughs> well, they're going to smell like fish. They're, you know, they work at night. They're, they're sweaty. They're dirty. They're, you know. I always um, imagine them pale, right? Like they don't get enough sun. <laughs> I never thought of it that way because they work at night. Yeah, you they probably work. I was But like <laughs> even that awareness of like how much of your social life like you can't go to other people's activities during the daytime if you're sleeping during the day and at work mm-hmm. like yeah, just just the way being third shift has a way of doing that to you, you know. Um that you're kind of removed from everybody else's circadian rhythms. I I think I think you've you've hit on something really important, Erica, that um this begins what I think are like radiating ripples outward of how Jesus increasingly reaches across boundaries. And he starts with a pretty significant group of people you could call outsiders because these are fishermen who are not mm-hmm. uh, the, the most highly educated or respected. But then like pretty soon we get other kind of call stories of, you know, tax collector, Matthew or Levi. You get, um, you know, increasingly wide radius of people Jesus calls to follow him. And then when you get to the sequel of the book of Acts, it's literally about moving outward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and how what starts at one lake shore you know with the water there at the at the the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is rippling outward eventually encompasses the whole world I think that's very much what Luke is sort of laying the groundwork for that Jesus movement is going to ripple out to include everybody and Luke is also going to be one who will call special attention to the women who will be followers of Jesus too even though there's not women named in this story as fishermen um but Jesus or Jesus will call other women to be followers in significant roles uh, and presumably you're even there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost if the book of Acts is to be believed that like this movement is is really inclusive and that Luke is giving us a heads up or showing us the beginnings of that here. He's not picking the religious professionals and I think he does that on purpose. Yeah. Because as you read the gospels and you see how Jesus interacts with the religious professionals they don't get it. They don't get his message. Um, and so the reason he picked non-religious professionals is he has somebody to actually work with. Yeah. Uh, Cause the rig- religious professionals think that they have it all together. They think they have it figured out. They're expecting that warrior Messiah that we've talked about in previous episodes um, versus, you know, this peaceful Messiah who has come, who's going to just turn the world upside down versus taking over Rome and with a sword and everything like that though one of the disciples is kind of a zealot so the swords <laughs> well like I, I think even that point is is a is a good one that by the end by the time we get the 12 the sort of set group that gets called the 12 it includes not only tax collectors who would have been seen as you know with allegiances to the empire but as as well simon whose nickname is the zealot who's got you know allegiances or at least former allegiances to that sort of violent separatist movement and that jesus 
somehow sees himself as neither of those that like he's not here to just um uh you know get in line with the romans and he's also not here uh to to uh wage a war inside a rebellion but is doing something different that those kind of people though all are also included and drawn to and even for that matter as much as jesus can have harsh words for the respectable religious people like uh the the pharisees or the sadducees or or the the scribes jesus continually willing to engage with them for most of the story also suggests he hasn't closed the door on them either there comes a point when they don't want to talk to him anymore but he's willing to keep the the conversation going so so these verses were used when i was in college as like the theme story that the campus ministry that i was a part of um kind of revolved itself like it was like the the theme of the year and one of the things that they kept asking us is, well, would you follow Jesus? Mm. Like, if you were here, would you follow Jesus? Or if Jesus came by with whatever you were doing today and asked you to put down, put it down, whatever you were doing and follow him, would you do it? And they, they kept asking this question like throughout the year. And like, so it was like really ingrained into you by the end of the year. Um, but I have found that depending on the different points in my life, my answer changes. You know, mm. I'm a religious professional. And so like, in theory, my whole life is about Jesus, right? <laughs> but, but that being said, there are certain times when it's easier to put down what you're doing to follow Jesus. Sure. And, you know, the more I become a religious professional, the more I am in this ministry that pays me and keeps food on my table for my children to eat, the more it's like, I think I would have to go, Jesus, do I have to like literally follow you? Like, (laughs) can I follow you while continuing to do this thing that I'm already doing like there there isn't a whole lot of dialogue in Mm -hmm. this story between jesus and his disciples it's you know this miracle happens but it's like the everyday kind of miracle of like their nets were filled but like i'm sure that their nets have been filled other times but it happened because of jesus and um and then jesus says you know come follow me and then, and then they do, and we don't get to hear the dialogue of, oh, are we just, are we going to come back, or are we going to, like, follow you, like, what does this look like, Um, Mm -hmm. will we be fed, do we need to get a change of clothing, like, there's no, we don't get to hear this part of the dialogue, Yeah. and, and I kind of wonder if me being a religious professional now, and having that be, uh, I don't think I can follow you right this second, Jesus. Like I'm already wrapped up in this ministry over here. If that doesn't impede my ability to put down what I'm doing to follow Jesus. Yeah. And that that might be part of why Jesus didn't go to the religious professionals because mm-hmm. the longer you're wrapped up in a ministry, the harder it is to put it down. Yeah. This reminds me a little bit of that scene from um, 
the brothers just uh, the brothers dostoevsky where um the one character imagines uh jesus coming back and visiting the grand inquisitor during the days of the spanish inquisition and the this sort of fictional story within a story the grand inquisitor says to jesus we don't need you anymore we've got the institutional church to take care of things for people Mm -hmm. we'll tell people what to believe just go on your way and that like there comes a point when we're so set on we we already know what to expect from you jesus we'll take it from here we don't really want you to show up and mess with us or surprise us anymore and especially just like you were saying it's it's awfully easy to pick what's settled and convenient and comfortable rather than a jesus who will surprise us and dare us to drop what we're doing especially like you say on a day you've just had uh a uh, the, the the best profit of you know maybe your career on the best day of your work and you're asked to to drop that and go follow Jesus. It almost makes me think of I don't want to get all uh sentimental and romantic but um at the end of the movie Goodwill Hunting um and I don't know if that's one that either of you will have seen um but the end of the movie Goodwill Hunting uh where uh Matt Damon's character um is this genius guy who's shown he's super awesome at math or you know whatever and he's got a good gig and he's going to have a good future in front of him and he ditches it all and he just leaves behind a note gone to see about a girl um the 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 love interest mini driver in the movie he's going to go across country and see her <laughs> and then robin williams gets in it and he goes he stole my line um that like there's something lovely about like yeah if 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 you're if you're will in that scene in the movie and like yep this is this is somebody i'm willing to, to drop everything for when you're when you're face to face with a love like that yeah it makes perfect sense even if it doesn't look rational to other people yep i drop it all and go and there's something like that with jesus uh, call to the disciples that here's Jesus saying to Peter and Andrew and James and John, even though everybody else has said, you're not good enough. I say you are come follow me. There's something compelling about that, that like maybe only makes sense to people who would drive across country to see about a girl. Um, you know, maybe it only makes sense to people who know what it's like to be grasped by a love like that and go, yeah, I'll drop everything because you're, you're worth it. And wherever else this leads me, if it means I'm going to get to be where you are, Jesus, yeah, I'll, I'll be where you are. But as you say, Sarah, that that's a difficult thing when we've got lots of other attachments. And that's what always fascinates me when I come across the story, whether I'm preaching on it or just reading through scripture for devotional life, like there we're missing, like you said, Sarah, all that back dialogue, like mm-hmm. all that, you know, that back and forth, like, what does this mean? Like, what does this look like? And, um, and that happens throughout scripture. I mean, there's a lot of dialogue that we do not get, um, and so I'm always, I'm always curious, like, what was it that really just the disciples said, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm going to drop my net and I'm going to go. Um, cause I, I'm like you, I, I don't say yes easily. <laughs> now the flip side of all this talk, making it like a grand sweeping gesture is that Jesus isn't calling them to go across an ocean somewhere that they'll never see their families again. You know, you read the gospels and now they're just going to hang around the villages around Galilee probably in walking distance of the same places they'd grown up in, probably staying at somebody's house. I mean, like to read Mark's gospel, they hang out at Peter's house for a while. If they can be, you know, helping Peter's mother-in-law when she gets sick, that like, it's almost like Jesus invites himself over to sleep on his couch. But do they know that when Jesus calls them? 
I don't know. But I mean, like, I guess that that's part of what seems interesting to me is that like that he neither says be prepared to go across the oceans and go to other places. But he also doesn't say uh, we're only going to stay in the neighborhood. But like, I think I think to me, that's an important piece, at least as we reflect on this story, is that for all the ways we can romanticize the call of Jesus, sometimes he doesn't call us to go across oceans or to have a dramatic change of career, but to go right back to our ordinary lives. So. I, I think that's another reason why I would find it difficult to say yes to Jesus in this moment is I like having an itinerary. I like having my to-do list. I like to know what the plan is. Uh-huh. I'm pretty okay with like when life throws you a curveball and you have to like have like s- start rewriting the plan. Like, sure, I can do that. But the whole I don't know how long we're going to be staying here and I don't know where we're going next and how long we're going to be staying there. I think I would struggle with that so much. I was just complaining to a colleague. Um, we're in a continuing ed cohort together and we have this project due at the end of the month. And I was just saying, I have no parameters. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing for this. Cause I like, like you said, Sarah, an itinerary, I kind of like to know what I have going on and, and I know when I signed up for ministry, when I accepted my calling in the Methodist church, I never know where I'm going to be year to year. And yet God worked on me. Jesus worked on me long enough to say, you know what? That's okay. I'm going to take care of you. Um, just trust me, at least for this next year, you're going to be here. Um, and it's been a struggle, you know, um, to me, this is one of those points where I think it's helpful for us who are creatures who like stability to be challenged by this kind of a story, but also not to jump off the cliff of saying, therefore, there should never be any stability or predictability in the church either. I, I can yeah. remember hearing classmates in seminary, like waxing nostalgic about, oh, if only the church were movement like it was in the first generation, but like to make anything sustain more than one generation, it has to become an institution. You have to have people who will you know, mm-hmm. say, here are the important traditions, carry these on. You have to have people who will teach, here's how we do things. And if you're going to be a community that cares about your neighbor and you say, hey, we should have a program to feed the widows in Jerusalem, you have to say, we're going to be here next year in Jerusalem to have that. So like, I feel like that there's that temptation of like, uh, to say, Jesus, just whisk me away in an adventure. Okay. But also how do we, how do we also find ways to provide stability and say, we're going to be a presence for, for Jesus sake and for the reign of God for the long haul and that somehow both of those are part of the tension for us especially for us as leaders in organized religion that we have to be both open to jesus leading us and also ready to to commit for let's let's have a witness that will last for a while and also just because this is how jesus called these disciples that's not how jesus is going to call us right right, um, right i think that's something that my college did not focus very well on is like then turning the question into okay well jesus is calling you jesus is calling you to do something to be something what is it that jesus is calling you to do or to be like what is your vocation um like i feel like that piece was missing at least in the conversations i was a part of Mm -hmm. um but you know that jesus uses our gifts and abilities to best work do God's work in the world and so yeah I thrive on stability I thrive on calendars and to-do lists and 
that is not a hindrance to my ministry, but rather a cornerstone. And because that's how God has chosen to use me right now. I think that that's helpful to make sense of a detail in the story where at the end, Jesus says to people who are fishermen, come and I'll make you fish for people. That There's some kind of a transformation going on, but it's, it's not like um, a, a rejection of what they'd done before. It's not like Jesus says, I'm calling away from that wicked, sinful life of catching fish to something completely different. But it's like using that imagery of, okay, you're good at fishing. Great. I'm going to make you fish for people. That There's that same idea of... Um, uh, well, I mean, sometimes the Bible uses shepherding image. Okay, you're a shepherd, David. Good. I'm going to make you shepherd my people. That like sometimes what God calls us to um, is right in the midst of our ordinary stuff that we are already good at or, or doing. Again, not necessarily far away, but like right in the midst of our lives. And that awareness that doesn't necessarily mean a dramatic 180 degree turn or a, a oceans away break from what we've been doing. I think that that's worth keeping in mind too, that how Jesus calls us might be right where we're at. And far too often that's missing from the church in general. Like when people hear that word call, they think professional, you know, right. Religious professional. They don't think, oh, God has called me to be a teacher and God has called me to use, you know, the skills that he has given me to work with my students and show them his, you know, show them God's love in the classroom you know, God is coming to be a doctor, whatever it is. Um, you know, and I, I, I've tried to work with that with my congregations, even though I've mostly have served folks that are retired, uh, which is a very different calling. But um, I, I just find that missing a lot in the church in general is that idea that calling does not mean going overseas and serving orphans in Africa. This whole conversation reminds me of a line I've been fishing for for some time from Richard Lisher. I finally stumbled upon it again. <laughs> I found this book in a, in a box in our basement and I was looking for something else. Um, but it brought back this line to me just in time for our conversation today. He talks about the difference between uh, a profession and a vocation. And he says mm -hmm. this, theologically, what distinguishes a vocation from the rigors of profession is this. You have to die to enter a vocation. A profession summons the best from you. A vocation calls you away from what you thought was best in you, purifies it, and promises to make you something or someone you are not yet. I love that idea that, like, it's not necessarily that God calls us to use the thing we're already good at. Like, here, Jesus, I'm good at this. Give me a gold star so I could do this more and, you know, like, rack up more brownie points. But more like, okay, here's the things even that I'm not good at. Can you use that as well? Um, and to me, I think that's a, power, a powerful part of how Jesus calls people. Instead of in our strength, he calls people in, in the things that we feel might be weaknesses. Here's people who've gotten passed over from being students of another rabbi who are called to be students of this rabbi. Um, and that, like, if that's the kind of community Jesus is creating, that's how you say that Jesus really welcomes everybody. If instead of showing off only all stars, it's us and our ordinariness. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like we know Jesus well enough now? No. <laughs> So maybe this is why, like we said at the beginning of this series, we keep coming back to these themes, uh, whether it's through the lectionary year after year, because the lectionary makes you, or just in the church's rhythm, we have a season of getting to know Jesus as he's revealed or manifested to us in Epiphany year after year. But this is part of why we've been doing this all this season long, a chance to re-get to know Jesus, knowing that we need to be reintroduced re to him all over again. So we hope you found this conversation valuable and uh, join us next time for new adventures here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.